You're listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This is Eugene Hernandez, Deputy Director here at Film at Lincoln Center. Today, we're sharing a conversation with German master Angela Schanelek from the 57th New York Film Festival, where she presented her radical new film, I Was at Home But. Starting this Friday at Film at Lincoln Center, join the director in person for her first complete New York City retrospective. The series will kick off with a sneak preview of her new film, which opens next Friday, February 14th, at Film at Lincoln Center. Likely the most singular and underappreciated among the contemporary German filmmakers collectively known as the Berlin School, which includes Christian Petzold, Thomas Arslan, and Valeska Griesbach, Schanelek makes films that achieve nothing less than the rendering of the human soul on screen. For complete information on the upcoming retrospective, visit filmlink.org. See three or more films during the retrospective and save. Let's go now to the conversation moderated by Film at Lincoln Center Director of Programming, Dennis Lim. I'm wondering if you could tell us what the starting point of the film is, because as I was watching it, you know, it's a film that has several different characters. There's the Shakespeare Hamlet element. There are the animals that bookend the film. So I'm wondering what was it that started the film for you? It was really the, the, um, the image of a child, I mean, He's 13 years old, of a boy, a son, who's coming back dirty, obviously, um, yeah, having spent some time in nature. And this was the starting point, this image, and so everything developed from this point. So tell us how everything else developed from there. How did you construct this? Was it about constructing this family around him? I'm curious um, when the Shakespeare part came in. Yes. Um, the sh- um, so, I mean, he comes back, and I, I thought, okay, where would he go? Maybe not directly home. Because maybe first a more neutral um, space where not the mother's <laughs> waiting, afraid, what, what, yeah. And then, okay, so it comes to school, and then the situation with the mother, and what happens in the school. And I asked myself, yeah, what, what, what would, yeah, how could I show the school and the, the class? And yeah, very, very, yeah, immediately, more or less, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, it came in my mind that I was not interested in a teaching, a lesson, I mean, but what could they do just alone? So I thought about playing, and I didn't search for a play, but I thought about Hamlet. <laughs> this was actually a, tr- a translation, adaptation that you had worked on? Yes, yes. Um, I made several um, um, translations of um, of Shakespeare pieces from English to German. One of these translations is, is Hamlet, and um, Hamlet is also the one I was. Yeah, how can I say? I was really very deep, deep into it, and. Um, so I thought about scenes of Hamlet they could play, and I thought the teacher is not necessary. I just let them play. How did you pick those scenes? I picked them um, 
not, not yeah. Um, I wanted a um, in any case a scene with rhymes. So mm -hmm. there are only several, there are not so many. So this is the first one you see. And um, then I picked them very intuitively um, what I could try to imagine that these children could say. And really saying means really saying. I mean, just what words could, mm -hmm. could come out. Yeah. So, you know, because you have um, professional actors, like Maren Eggert is somebody you've worked with before, we have Franz Rogowski as the teacher, and, but you also have the children who are not, um, and they're also animals. So there's like a, quite a range of uh, performances and performance styles in the film. I'm sorry if you Did can Did you talk. say they are almost animals? No, no, they are animals in the film. <laughs> They're not, I mean, well, you know, we are, we are all animals, but... No, because... <laughs> also animals, but no, yes. The do donkey and the... No, do no, but, but in my eyes, if they all would be as good as the animals, <laughs> so this would be quite perfect. <laughs> no, but that sounds funny, but... Um, it's true that... I mean, the film starts with the animals, and in my eyes, through the animals, there's a level. So the children have to keep it, and then the adults have also to keep it. And the, non, the professional actors have to keep it. This is not so easy. Everyone knows that an animal is hard to top. And I mean, it's, I mean in theater, you have this... You have this um, word, um, never on stage with children or animals, because yeah. everyone looks on the animals. In film, too, yeah. So that's, that's quite serious that um, when I'm working with actors, um, I search for them a long time, or I know them as Maren. And um, yeah, it's true that, and obvious that it's, this is a, unfortunately, a special time, a special way of acting, what, what I want from them. And on one hand, what Maren does would not be possible with a non-professional. I mean, it maybe would, but then I have to search for a very long time mm -hmm. for that person. It's not impossible, but I don't know how that casting um, would look like. Um, so I work with, with professionals, but yes. And how was it working with the children? With the children we did a lot of, I mean, we saw more than 100 children, and we, in the end, none of these children acted before. None of them was from an agency. We found them in schools. Um, Jakob, um, who plays the son, I found on the street. Um, and I, when I met them the first time when I was interested in how they behave, how they look, how they move. Um, um, I met them again and I gave them the text and I 
um, asked them to say the text. And so we stepped forward. <clears throat> Can you say a bit about your writing process? I think I heard you say in Berlin that the film is pretty much as you wrote it. Like this, you, this, then there's very little even changes on the set and the and the editing. So that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the set there's almost no change yeah. changing. I mean, no, and in the editing, um, I really did very less. Yeah. So are your um, visual ideas? already with you when you are writing because the film is very precise, like a lot of your work, very precise in its composition, framing, ideas about camera movement. Yes. Um, uh, when I write something, um, I write it down. I need to, to imagine where, as ex exactly more or less, how this scene will be shot to find out what can be the next image in the next scene. So I write more or less, the, the script is more or less a shot list. Um, there, I want to ask you about um, the title, which uh, refers to Ozu. He made a film called I Was At Home But in the early 30s. So at what point did you have this, did this title come to you? Very early, um, because these, um, I was born but impressed me long ago as a title so much that I could not forget it. I mean, how beautiful can a title be? I was born but. And um, on the other hand, I made a film. The first middle-length film I did was um, I stayed all summer in Berlin, and the new title is kind of a mixture of that both, because I stayed all, all summer in Berlin, which I did in 93, I think, was also written as I wrote this film, just sitting and writing. I mean, I wrote the script during um, waiting on the financing of the former film, mm. and this was quite a hard time and where I could not get rid of working on this project. I wanted to do the dream path. And at the same time, I was kind of empty with this work because it was more or less waiting for money. So I just started to write as long ago with this other film. And this title came in my mind and it's kind of a mixture I wanted to do something with such a beautiful title. <laughs> I was at home, but did it help something that I was at home? No, um, yeah. I don't know. Um, another filmmaker who is often mentioned um, in, in relation to, to this film and to your work, um, and I think it's hard not to think about uh, him because of the donkey is Bresson. Um, obviously, Balthazar Balthazar is one of the great animals in all of cinema. So that, were you thinking of, and I know in Toronto just a few weeks ago you did a presentation of uh, Bresson's Pickpocket, so obviously a filmmaker who means a lot to you. So. I mean, Oazar Balthazar is one of the most beautiful films existing, I think. I mean, this is an incredible film. And it's impossible to shoot a donkey without thinking of that film. And for me it was more, 
more, how could I dare, how could I free myself and shoot a donkey? And um, I mean, it took me a long time. I'm making films since some years. And now I thought, okay, well, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> Give me the donkey. <laughs> and I was so happy when this donkey arrived on set. You cannot imagine. <laughs> I thought, oh my God. We shot this in Croatia, but it was so complicated with the animals, so the donkey came from Hungary with the dog and with all the... Um, rabbits. And when he arrived in this little village, I was I thought, okay, this is not a this is not anymore Bresson, this is a donkey. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you to just talk about a couple of scenes um, in the film and then we'll take some audience questions. Um, the first one is the long scene in the middle of the film, the long conversation um, with uh, Astrid and the filmmaker character who's played by a real-life filmmaker, Donna Comian. Uh, and she has some very strong opinions on his work, but also on on cinema and truth and acting. And uh, to what extent does her, do those you know opinions align with yours? I mean, the important thing for me in that moment is that she bumps in this um, director. I mean, um, the main thing is the situation and the relationship between the two of them because he is interested in her opinion and the fact that he's listening to her makes her talk and then she cannot stop herself. And I mean, what happens if you cannot stop your, yourself talking? I mean, this would never be something she would it's not a speech in front of students about filmmaking. It's something which, which coming up with out of control, more or less. This is the interesting thing. And I wrote the scene as it is, early in the morning, in two hours, and this was what came out. And for sure, it has something to do with my thinking. But... If I would agree on that, I could not work. <laughs> so the, the chance when you, when you write a scene and not something you, not a speech, is that it's just human. It's, it's, not, it's not theory. It's what happens in a situation when someone is so happy that another person is listening and everything goes together like an opinion and a past and the presence of this person. So, yeah, she loses control and she says things. And at that point, it starts to get interesting because everything is reaction. He's reacting. She's reacting again. If he would re not react like that, she would not, could also not react. I mean, everything is just reaction. Um, okay, and then just the other scene I wanted you to talk about is, um, is the scene with a song, um, which is 
an M Ward cover of uh, David Bowie's Let's Dance. Can you talk about your selection of that song? And a few things happen in that scene. I mean, it's several scenes that the song plays over. There's the her visit to the cemetery, but then there's also what seems like a flashback scene with the children um, dancing. Yes. I mean, the beginning was that I was looking for music because it was clear I don't want to use the music they heard when they were dancing. And then um, I was trying several pieces. And when I found this um, M Ward, yes, it just, I thought, okay, why not? starting much earlier. Also because it's difficult to, ed to, to edit <laughs> music. I mean, um, I did in, in, in my films, I tried what is possible. I mean, there's almost, in, in many of my films, there's only one song or, or two. So I had some experiences with that and when I was editing this film, I thought, yes, why not taking it's almost the whole song and look what happens when it starts, when she's climbing up. Um, it's, it's a very intuitive um, decision and this strange beginning of the, the song, which is not, it's kind of a chess thing um, for very few seconds, and she's climbing on a cemetery, and I had the feeling she's climbing in a bar because of this strange <laughs> beginning. And then it starts, and yeah, I thought, why not? All right, so we have time for a few audience questions, and we do have a microphone as well. Yeah, we'll start here. What, what museum was that? It's the Gemälde Gallery. Yeah, yeah, it's the Gemälde Gallery in, in Berlin. Right. Actually, <laughs> maybe can you talk? Did you choose it? The, um, the choice of the artworks that we see? Like, was that um, something you thought of as you were writing? Um, I've chosen it half-half. Um, we've chosen the, the, I mean, in the Gemälde Galerie, the, the rooms um, have different colors. Hmm. Um, and also a criteria was, was the color of the room. And then, um, yeah, we were looking and everything then went together in a way, the sculpture and the, and the, these two night um, uh, paintings. So it, it came together through, from different directions. Did something happen to you in your life that you have a personal investment in this film? And if not, why? Personal what? Did something happen to you personally in your life that inspired this film? And if it didn't, why is this, what do you want people to take away from this film? Why is this relevant? Thank you. How are these two questions connected? Or are they connected? <laughs> I mean, my personal connection, this is a very general question because, I mean, of making something as a director or also as a painter or any artist without personal connection is quite impossible. That's the one thing. And the other thing, 
I cannot say what you, I cannot put that together in a sentence what you shall take. This is impossible. If I would, if I could do that, then maybe I would write a sentence and put it on a wall. What, what I wanted to do is what you saw. And yes, what shall I say? Okay. Are there any more questions? Yep, right there. I had the feeling that the children in the film um, were very poised and adult-like, while the mother felt so raw and emotional. And I was wondering how you thought about childhoodness or childhood and adulthood, and how those things interact. Um, uh, yes, I. Um, I thought about that, that um, um, the children lead the adults in a way. They, they, are, they are calmer, they are kind of further than the adults. And um, I think there's a lot of to lose during getting adult and many of us lose it, but the children still have it. It's, it can be described in many ways. It's, um, it's kind of trust in themselves. Um, it's kind of openness to, to accept what happens, but yes. Somehow when you look at the noise and the cars. There is like a grimness and there is this sort of like sadness that communicates itself. And I just wonder if uh, it is, um, um, like I hope that the world is not like this for the children, <laughs> even if they come out looking adult-like, but Somehow I kind of feel at the close-up, the contemporary world looks ugly and sad in this film, you know. And was it your intention to portray it like this? No. Okay. <laughs> Let's try a different last question. <laughs> yes, over there. Hi, um, I have a question kind of about the aesthetic of the film, and uh, especially with lighting. I noticed that it was very brightly lit in most of the scenes, um, but the color wasn't fully saturated. Um, what did you want to get across with just like the lighting and the, um, yeah, just the general aesthetic overall, like the tone? I mean, this is not a concept. We, we start to, we start to think about the image in the moment when we, when we are looking for the location. And every location um, then, when we choose a location, it's more that we find out what we want because we react on a location and on another location we don't react. And then, um, yes, for example, the schoolroom, the, the, the walls were too white, so we, we made them a bit more we tinted them um, uh, a bit. And so this, 
this develops step by step, but it's not a concept behind. And then, I mean, in the color grading, happens a lot as we shot the film digital. And um, it's not that we say it has to be like that. So what does that mean? It's more that we look on an image and then we Yes, then we yeah, then we respond to the image and 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 agree on 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 the way we manipulate it because I mean a digital image is always manipulated. Yes. We do have to wrap it up, but um I want to just remind everybody that we are opening this film next year and also presenting um complete retrospective of Angela's films in February uh, and we'll have her back for that so uh, thank you all for coming and thank you so much thank for you very much thank you you've been listening to the film at Lincoln Center podcast our opening music is by Steelism you can subscribe on iTunes Stitcher and Spotify film at Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City and supported by individuals just like you for 50 years, we've been dedicated to supporting the art and elevating the craft of cinema and enriching film culture through the programming of festivals, series, retrospectives, and new releases. The publication of Film Comment, the presentation of podcasts, talks, and special events, the creation and implementation of artist initiatives, and our film and education curriculum and screenings. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. That's F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C dot org.